1: Uh, to have Riley Jensen with us, Riley is a uh, a great a great voice in our state for all kinds of stuff from athletics to uh, professional sports to mental health uh, to performance. And uh, Riley, my memory of you is watching you, you know, drive the mighty uh, Utah State Aggies down the field back in the late '90s when we were at Utah State. Those were those were good days, but hard days too, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think uh, two things in my life have taught me a lot. Uh, my mission in France, which wasn't incredibly successful, and then probably my career at Utah State that wasn't that wasn't that successful. But I'm still here. I'm still swinging. I'm still throwing elbows. So we're all right.
1: <laughs> you still got it. Yeah, you are. You still got. Uh, you've got that grit that we that we talk about sometimes, which we're going to talk about today. But let me ask you a question, Riley, because I know sports have been a big part of your life and i think you know i i often tell my children that we probably learn more from from bad leaders about leadership than good leaders and we probably learn more from bad experiences in our life than the good ones what what are some of the great lessons in sports that you've learned over the years i know that's probably hard to take a lifetime of that kind of participation and boil it down to one to one minute but are there any things that anything that stands out
0: well, you know, that's a it's a really good question, Mark. I think I think one of the things that comes to mind when you ask that question is there's a really great quote, and I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit from from Pat Summit, who was a great uh, oh, yeah. women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee, and she said, "Winning is important, sure, but she said winning is not the point. Wanting to win is the point." Preparing to win is the point. Doing everything that you can to win is the point, and I really feel like that's kind of what I what I learned from sports. I mean, I, I played at Cottonwood High School. We went five and five. I had two magical years at Snow College where we went nine and two, and wow. ten and one, and ten and one. My sophomore year as a quarterback there that were just magical, and I still look back at those with really, really fond memories. And then my junior year at Utah State. We were six and six, and my senior year at Utah State, we were three and eight. You wow. could take that and go, God, this guy just didn't win very much, right? Right. But I think I think what I learned is that number one, part of winning and parting of being successful in this life is having great people around you. Oh yeah. So when I won, I had Kevin Curtis as a wide receiver who played for ten years in the NFL. I had a linebacker that played for the University of Utah and in the NFL, a defensive lineman named Junior Iwane who played, you know, in the league for eight years at Snow College. I mean, these guys wow. were really, really good players. And the, the right. cool thing that I love about football is it doesn't matter how good you are. You're only as good as your teammates are. Sure. I really drew on a lot of energy from my teammates, and I think that's a life lesson, right? Like, not yeah. all of us are born born onto the best team not all of us have the best mom or the best dad not all of us have a perfect family but the cool thing that the lord has provided for us i think is that we we can build a great team around us regardless of where we are born regardless of you know and i i happen to have a wonderful mother and father and uh maybe in some ways a traditional nuclear family that 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 was really, really supportive and really good. But I also have lots of really good friends that are really successful and really good members of the church that didn't have all of that. Right. We learned quickly how to put a great team around them and install a great team around them. And in essence, in a lot of ways, we have a lot of choice and we have a lot of agency in that. And I learned that from playing sports is by having great people around me, I will be more successful. I will be more happy. I will, will have a chance to do really good. Now, as a parent, as a grandparent, um, you know, your kids didn't really choose to be with you. Right. <laughs> your your grandkids didn't choose. And so we have this wonderful opportunity to choose to be great stewards and to be great teammates and to be great people around them. So that's one of the things that I that I think I learned. I think the other thing, God, you know, I'm, I'm 49 years old, and I think I'm just coming – Coming into some of this knowledge, and and you think, man, you would have learned this a little quicker, Riley. But maybe I'm (laughs) a slow learner. But sure, me too. I I think that you can turn any loss into a win by focusing on the bravery and the courage of the moment. And by that, I mean there are all kinds of times where your kids or your 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 team around you is going to take a big swing. You know, they're going to – Dale Murphy says swing hard just in case, right? They're going to take a hefty swing at that pitch, and they're going to miss. And you can turn that loss into a win by focusing on the bravery and the courage of that moment. I'm so proud of you that you wanted the ball in your hands at the end of that game. I'm so proud of you that, you know, I think back to when I ran for student body president. My dad forced me to run for student body president (laughs) in high school. And I got absolutely obliterated. In fact, it was so bad, you know, I kind of had my head in the trees about how popular I was. And I asked them if I could see like the preliminaries, right? I got 30 votes, Thirty, <laughs> not 300, not 1300. I got 30 <laughs> votes and it absolutely crushed me. And my right. dad, was not, he was not a sports psychologist. He was not a mental performance coach. And I was pretty upset, like I was kinda of upset with him because I think he he really kinda of pushed it. And I was like, Dad, you know, I don't know why you made me do this. I don't know why you made me like try to be the student body president, you know. This is so embarrassing and I and I feel so stupid, you know. And and my dad goes, you know, I get it. And I and I he goes, I'm 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 probably more surprised than you are, but I can't tell you how proud I am of of how brave and courageous and gritty it was that you put yourself out there and he goes i don't know how to explain this to you i don't know i don't know what the lesson is that we're supposed to learn but i promise you that that you putting yourself out there was the right thing to do yeah what a good dad getting beat down like that made a mission to france a little bit easier
1: Because I got beat
0: (laughs) up a lot in France. It made playing on bad teams in college a little bit easier because, you know what, this isn't as embarrassing as when I got beat, you know, where I only had 30 votes for student body president at Cottonwood High School, right? Sure. And and then I think on the converse of that, I think the other thing that you can can do is when your kids are being really successful, you can focus on the bravery and the courage and the process of the moment, meaning – you know what, that was pretty cool that you wanted the ball in your hands at the last second. Same exact thing, but they made it, right? right? What did you do? What do you think you did different than everybody else that made you successful right there? And then really focus on the processes that took place. Well, I lifted a whole bunch of weights. I read a whole bunch of books. I went to summer science camp. I did this, I did that. That really made a difference for you, didn't it? To be that prepared. Yeah, and now right. we're focusing on things they can control rather than, you know what? Shots are going to fall. Shots aren't. I mean, I'm first team all American at snow playing on a 10 and one football team. And I'm not even all conference at Utah state. Like, right. When the losses come, it's wanting to win and focusing on the bravery, the courage, and the process that becomes, I think really, really important and, and has really been the lessons that I've learned through right. college athletics. I think Riley,
1: that's so awesome. So that, Let's transition to your mission for a minute because you mentioned your mission to France. You know, in my in my current, you know, church position, we we deal with a lot of missionaries that are struggling with their mental health, with their coping and ability to have some resilience and grit more coming home now than, than probably have in the past. What was your mission like in terms of, you know, why was it so hard there? And what do you think we can do to maybe help prepare our youth better you know to uh fortify them with some
0: some skills some grit and some moxie i'll start by just saying that like i think that i was always that kid that had his head in the clouds i think i always thought i was a little bit better than i was right Mm. i think i I think probably still. I probably look back at what kind of missionary I was, and I think I'm a little bit better than I was. Yeah. We're getting out of the MTC, and there was a really, there's a really cool moment back when when you and I went on missions. You would come out of the MTC, and they'd show this film called "Called to Serve." Like in your oh, last yeah. meeting, and you'd walk out the doors, and in "Called to Serve," it shows missionaries all over the world, and people are honking their horns and they're waving at people, <laughs> and, and it's everything. Like a parade down Main and, Street, like, and and. My first two weeks in France, I had two people honk at me, and I, I started to wave, and they weren't waving. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Right. And I was like – and I remember I remember Elder Walker trainer going, hey, man, this ain't called to serve, Riley. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: right. And I was like, yeah, you're right. This is going to be a little bit harder. And, and one of the things that I would say or one of the things that I wish – that I could like really install in the hearts of every missionary. Cause I just, I don't know how to explain it. I absolutely loved my mission and we're not talking about huge success here. Right. But right. I just absolutely loved my mission. But if I could install in every heart of every missionary, it would be that anything worthwhile takes a little bit longer and is a little bit harder than originally anticipated. Yeah. And if, and, and I feel like, that's a really, really good lesson for missionaries. I think that's all. That's also a really good lesson for kids that are trying to play college sports. I think that's also a really good lesson for those of you that are listening to this podcast and beginning careers and, like, starting families. Like, you're not going to be a great dad to start out with. Sorry. Right. <laughs> you're just not. And you're not going to be great at your job to start out with. Sorry. I don't know where that expectation came from. but it, But if you know it's worthwhile – and you know that you're in a marathon not in a sprint right it's a lot easier to handle a bad mile along the 26 miles right like right. it's okay totally. like you got to have a marathon mentality when it comes to this life we're we're outlasting people we're not beating people to the pole over here right and so when it come when it came to my mission i think i just i loved it and i i had one baptism that came to me that was after my mission. It was like hmm. my senior year in college. I baptized someone that I had taught two years ago. Oh, wow. I was dead, right. And in my mission, we had 69 baptisms. My first year of my mission and 131 baptisms in the whole mission, my second year. And we thought the second year was like a miracle year. Right. And like, right. You go to South America and like 131 is a bad month. You know? <laughs> totally. And so, So I think what I learned on my mission was you got to learn how to plant trees that you'll never see. Yeah. I just started learning to love people. I loved the conversations. I learned to love the French people because what I realized about the French was, is they loved their families and they wanted to love God. Right. They wanted to believe that there was a God and You know what? If that's the biggest win, if I could just make them feel better by reassuring them that there is a God that loves them today and that they are Heavenly Father's boy or they are Heavenly Father's girl, like, that was a win. Totally. That's a win. If I, in my own job today, and I I don't mean to get teared up, but like, I feel like if I could help people to know that they are loved by someone, someone. Someone who has infinite capacity for love. Right. That things fall into place. I mean, I think about my own life. The the times where I get off track is when I forget whose boy I am. Right. We lose our identity. That's right. Yeah. And I'm Heavenly Father's boy. I have a lot of titles. My most important title is that I'm Heavenly Father's boy. And if I can get that straight with me and with my kids and with my wife, like everything else falls into place. He's the answer to everything right now. We're all we're all running around going, "Oh my gosh!" There's this political issue, and there's this, and and we got. Guess what? We need to talk about Christ.
1: Yeah, that's right. We
0: need to bring Christ into our home. We need to bring Christ into our lives. He is the answer. He, it's not. It's not complicated. We need to talk about him more. We need to. We need to visit with him ourselves more. We need to make him more part of our lives and I think that's what my mission taught me. I have probably two or th- well actually three really strong spiritual anchors from my mission. Mm. Even I hardly baptized anybody, right? Sure. When when I call you know the winds of the adversary come flying at me or the fiery darts of the adversary come flying at me, there was one really really poignant large group meeting in the mtc where i knew beyond a shadow of doubt that Joseph smith was a prophet and it was a young man who had acted as joseph smith at palmyra who reenacted what his play part was in that in that hill
1: pageant yeah
0: Hillcumor pageant and i'll never forget it I i know the lord poured forth his spirit and told me that joseph smith is a prophet of the lord There was another time in Montpellier, France, I was walking down the street and this guy was passing out the four gospels to everyone and everybody was taking his four gospels and nobody would take a book more from me. And I felt, I felt Christ put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Riley, they're not rejecting you. Mm. Wow. I don't know. I don't know that I heard his voice audibly, but I felt it whispered to me. That I am here with you and be still and be calm because I'm in charge and it's okay. And then the third experience that I had is my grandma passed away on my mission and I was riding my bike down uh, along the Mediterranean Sea in Antibes, France. And I knew she was sitting on the back of my bike for the last two months of my mission. But on that particular bike ride... And she used to come to all my games and she used to come to all my and she'd sit somewhere so that at halftime she could give me the thumbs up and she always said, go for it, just go for it. And I was really, really chunky at the end of my mission. I was like, oh my gosh, I just got to get home. I got to get right. And I had like a month left and she was sitting on the back of my bike and I didn't want to turn. I didn't want to turn around because I didn't want her to leave. But I heard her whisper, go for it for the last month. Just go for it. Wow and those anchors from my mission i can't trade them in for anything it doesn't matter how good i was at sports it doesn't matter how successful i was as a business person like i can't those three anchors are there in my life for the rest of my life
1: i love no matter- that really that's so great so no matter
0: how so, so yeah. if if you want if if you want those experiences in your life you got to hang in there a little bit you got to be able to take the punches you got to be able to take the fact that they're going to take all of these Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pamphlets from this other guy and no Book of Mormon from you. you got to be able to roll with it a little bit. It doesn't mean that it's not true, and it doesn't mean that you don't have value. Right. work that you're putting in is not value, and it has been so valuable to my life for the rest of my life. And I've gone back to my mission. It doesn't feel the same as when I was in my mission. It's different, isn't it? My mission was full of the Spirit because of the effort that I was putting in, because the other missionaries were there, and then the members that were there. But when I go back, it doesn't feel the same. I can't not find e- the
1: magic. Not even the same place, is it? It's so no. different.
0: And it was because of the way I created it. And so when people are feeling anxiety, and look, we use the word anxiety. Look, if you have real anxiety, I get it. Like, there's some things that need to happen, and there's this is... Way beyond the picture that I'm talking about. But I really feel like some missionaries are coming home just because it's not very fun or it's a little bit uncomfortable. And right. for those that are do that are feeling that way, hang with it. It gets so much better. Like True. it is so solid and it will be a foundation for the rest of your life. I would suggest a mission to everyone. I would never tell them not to. Now, it's not to say that I don't acknowledge that there's some real issues there's some things, but don't use that as a crutch because you're missing out on so many things that you don't know you're missing out on.
1: Totally. So Riley, question, what could parents do? Is there something that parents can do to instill what you're kind of talking about here to inspire their youth to hang in there to have some of this moxie that you talk about?
0: Yeah. So in my job, people ask me all the time, like, how do you build confidence? How do you build um, someone who has that ability to have resiliency and, and that power in their lives. And the number one answer, it's really, really easy, is help them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. And I think a lot of us parents want to be our kids' friends, right? And we get really sick of the moaning and complaining and the whining sometimes, and it really wears on us, right? And I know this is true because with my third – Who's like four years old right now? I'm like, just give her whatever she wants. Just give it to her. I just want some peace and quiet around here, right?
1: Right. Oh yeah. But
0: that's probably exactly the opposite of what I need to be doing if I really want to teach her confidence. And and so when I say stepping out of your comfort zone or getting comfortable being uncomfortable, I don't mean that you go and you hike, you know, like Angel's Landing tomorrow if you can't <laughs> a fear of heights. But it may mean that you go hike up Mill Creek Canyon this Sunday or this Saturday and and walk with your kid and help them to walk and look over a 10-foot ledge and maybe get a little bit used to being uncomfortable on a height that doesn't feel very good, right? right? Maybe that, you know, I heard someone tell me the other day they always play a game with their kids. They always make them go and get ketchup from, you know, McDonald's. Like, hey, I forgot to get ketchup. Can you go get us some ketchup? You know, from an early age, dad, I don't want to do that. Oh, come on, just real quick. Just got me two packets. You know, right. I mean? go up there and ask an adult for two packets of ketchup and then bring it back to you. Right. Always just moving that place a little bit because I, to be honest with you, I think the great lie in this world right now, and I think this is, this is so clever by the adversary yeah, is that you are okay the way you are. No, you're not. No, you're not. So true. I'm a much better person at 49 years old than I was at 20. And there's two things that that lie does to young people. There's two things that this lie does. Number one, they don't trust you because they know they're not what they're they supposed to They know it's to. not true, right? And they know it's not true, so they can't trust you. So you've just lost credibility by telling them that they're okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. Every great organization, every great person – Every every great team that I've ever been around, okay, right, does not allow you to just sit there and be okay. You're good enough as you are. The Lord's Church doesn't do that. A great team doesn't do that. A great person doesn't. You don't sit around and just say, you know what, I'm okay with the way I am. That's just not a growth mindset. We have performance reviews all the time, don't we? And that's not a recipe That's not a recipe for growth in your life. And so we have got to start telling them like, no, you, you, I love you and I care about you no matter how you are, but you are not good enough right now. You need to get better. And it's okay for us to have that tough conversation. Like you can get better than what it gets better than this. And a phrase that I use with athletes all the time is it's never as bad as it seems. And it's never as good as it gets. And what that phrase does is it keeps you moving. It right, so you that you're never complacent. It's not as bad as you think. Don't stop. Don't stop working at what you thought you were doing, and it's never as good as it gets. So don't fall into that trap of like, "Oh, I've arrived," because you haven't.
1: Right. Amen. That's so good. I think you know. I think uh, teaching them how to do hard things, expecting them to do some hard things, like you say. I love your thoughts on uh, on helping them to be uncomfortable a little bit. Right, stretching
0: them and helping them grow shoot, I'm going to Trek on July 10th, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm not in the greatest shape of my life. I'm not really looking forward to, like, you know, 90-degree temperatures and wind in Wyoming in my face. So what? Now what? I I teach that all the time with athletes. So what? Now what?
1: Yeah. So what now? Here we go. So (laughs) what?
0: It's going to be hot. So what? You're going to be uncomfortable. Now what? What can you do? Well, what I've been doing is the exercising and walking a lot more and getting myself ready for this trip, right? right. That's, that's what you do. You, you don't get be- prepared, right? right?
1: You're prepared. Riley, what are some of the, what are some of this, you know, you deal with what I would call kind of a performance anxiety with a lot of athletes. What are some of the skills? Well, first of all, what are some of the symptoms of that performance anxiety or just anxiety in general? And what are, what are some of the, the things that you do, maybe even intervention-wise, to help people through their fears, their worries?
0: Yeah. So I would say that there is there are three really pretty good indicators to anxiety, like performance anxiety or like imposter syndrome or these things where like kids don't feel like they're good enough, they don't feel like they can do it, and so they want to take their ball and go home. Right. Number one, really, really good – indicator that your kid might be struggling with this is perfectionism. Mm, so if you a little good. perfect and I listen, I'm a recovering perfectionist so I get it. Right? right? Typically a firstborn a firstborn has a lot of perfectionistic tendencies, right? But if you've got a little perfectionist running around, the the ugly twin sister to perfectionism is negative self-talk. Bingo. So if you've got a little perfectionist You also have someone that's going around beating themselves up all the time, telling themselves that they're not good enough, that they're not great enough, that they can't handle this, that they can't do this. So that's a really, really good place to, like, start stepping out of your comfort zone and building confidence through stepping out of your comfort zone into some different places. Right. Right. Another – the other – Enemy to peace, I, I I call them enemies of motivation. But really, if we're talking about the church, like this is this is enemies to your kids' peace. It's right. perfectionism. Second one would be comparison, which my mom always used to say is the tool of the adversary. Right. Right. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, um, "Comparison is the thief of joy," which I think is a really really good point. Right. Right. Your your kids are gonna fall into some some anxiety and some stress if they're in a big comparison place. And I don't take this one lightly at all. The comparison tools that the adversary is using on our kids are way more uh, complicated and surgical than they ever were when we were. When I was in high school, If I didn't hang out on the weekend, I was like, oh, there must not have been anything going on. If you're not hanging out with somebody in high school now, you see all about it on Instagram, on Snapchat, on all these different things. And they're like, ha ha, you weren't invited. You're not good enough, right? Right. So this comparison tool is really, really good. So what I would remind kids and what I would remind parents is comparison is for things, not people. So if you want to compare a car, compare the heck out of it before you (laughs) buy it. You want to compare a house, Compare the heck out of it before you buy it. But when it comes to you, you don't compare yourself to other people. You compare yourself to yourself. And so how am I doing compared to yesterday? Am I a little bit better than I was yesterday? Am I a little bit better than I was two days ago? And that incremental growth, those tiny leaps lead to huge changes. It's like, it's like the scripture by small and simple things are great things, do great things come to pass, right? Right. And so- exactly that's how you get better with comparison. And now every once in a while, you got to teach your kids how to scan themselves and scan themselves right after they get on social media. And I know social media is hard. Don't be afraid to take social media away if you need to. As right. a parent. But at the same time, if you're a, if you're a high school kid listening to this, or if you're even in college and you're listening to this, take a little scan of yourself, like right after you get done watching social media and just check your temperature. Are you feeling jealous, envious? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling upset when you get done? Or are you feeling inspired? Or are you feeling like you want to go to church and do good things for other people? How are you feeling when you get done? And if you're feeling these things that were on the side of like, I want to go to church, I want to serve other people, and I'm feeling inspired, well, then stay on there. But if you're not feeling that way, wouldn't it serve a good purpose to take a break? Right. maybe just take it off of your phone and leave it on your computer so it's one step harder to get to your social media. Right. Right. Just something that like allows you to know. Now, I will say this, I am not anti social media like most people. What I would tell you though is there is more smut and garbage and difficult things on accessible to young people than there ever has been before. But on the converse, there's also better, more inspirational and more wonderful things online than there ever is before. Make sure you're going into the right lanes and into the right neighborhoods on your social media. Because if you're hanging out, if you're hanging out in the sewer, sewer's gonna come out of you. Right, right. And really in this life, are you a fountain or are you a sewer? are you Mm -hmm. a tigger or are you an eeyore are you a camper or are you a climber? like we should be in the climber place we should be around tiggers we should be around you know the fountains of the world not the sewers not the eeyores not you know right we we control the crowd that's around us it kind of goes back to what we started about having having a great team around you when you're watching social media. Make sure your algorithm is starting to like hit on really positive things instead of all the garbage things.
1: It's exactly right. So,
0: so sorry. One last one. The last one. one is unrealistic expectations that will kill your peace. And people are people always go to me. Well, am I not supposed to dream big? Am I not supposed to chase big things? No, that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But just like Jeffrey Holland says, you didn't come this far just to come this far. Right. A lot of us are on the right path where we hurt ourselves is when we should all over ourselves and we say, I should already be the AP. I should already be state president. I should already be the Bishop. I should already have a million dollars in the bank. I should already live in this neighborhood. I should already do this. That's where the unrealistic expectations come in. Cause you might be on the right path. Yeah. You might already be going exactly where you're supposed to go. It just didn't happen as fast as you thought it was going to be. And the way that the adversary destroys your peace or your motivation or creates anxiety in your life is when he starts going, dude, you should already be. Yeah. So you right should now. already be the oh, yeah. in this neighborhood. And it's a clever lie and it's a clever deception because you're already on the right path. Don't forget to look back and go, man, I've come a long way. Man, I'm doing some good things. Don't Hold come it. this far just to
1: come this far. I love that. Love that from Elder Holland. So, Riley, if I was hearing you right, so regarding these major symptoms of anxiety, I heard you talk about uh, negative self talk. I heard you talk so about perfectionism
0: and negative self talk.
1: It was your third, the un- unrealistic expectations.
0: Comparison was second, then unrealistic expectations. So, if you see your kid being a perfectionist, there could be anxiety going on. If you see your kid comparing himself all the time, there could be anxiety going on. And if you see your kid with unrealistic expectations, even though he's doing like really, really good things already, there could be some anxiety going on. And that's where you start to intervene and help them with some of those things.
1: Right. Right. What are, what would you say are some of the, maybe the top two or three, you know, skills or interventions or tools that you share with your athletes you consult with to help them overcome some of those patterns that you just identified
0: I just i just forgot the name of the doctor at stanford but he's a stanford he's he's probably the leading researcher on breathing techniques Mm. and a whole bunch of breathing techniques out there that are really really good all of them work and and uh, the biggest thing that i could tell this audience today is that uh when you're When your mom told you to take 3D press when you you skinned your knee when you were little, like that's not an old lifestyle. That's backed up by all kinds of science. So whatever breathing technique you like works. But this one is really cool and leads to really, really, really quick relaxation and brings peace instantly into your life. It's this. It's called the double breath. And it looks and sounds like this. You're going to breathe in through your nose for as far as you can go. And then you're going to breathe a little bit more in through your nose and then you're going to blow out through your mouth. So it's called a double Mm. breath. So you just go like this. You go Mm. instantly, instantly lower your blood pressure and lower your feelings and lower your emotions so that you can actually get back to focusing on what what you need to focus on. So that's that's a great tool for anxiety and stress management in your life. And you can do that. At any time, anywhere, anywhere that you're at. You can do it at the stoplight, right? I mean, Take those deep breaths and take a pause, right? You can call timeout. And if you try it right now, if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this podcast, try it right now. You're going to feel an instant release of stress and anxiety in your life. So I love that one to to help somebody who's taking a science test, going into a big game, going into a chess tournament. It doesn't matter what it is, right?
1: And my guess is you would do that for, what, five minutes or so? or have,
0: I, mean, with... I mean, it might work real quickly before the right. next pitch in a baseball game. If, sure. Well, if it doesn't work instantly for you, keep doing that for a few minutes, and, and you'll really feel mm-hmm. it's going to come back into equilibri- equilibrium for you. Right. The second tool that I think is the closest thing to a Jedi mind trick that I have <laughs> Is we talk a lot about anxiety and stress in this life, and I just want you to think. And maybe I'll I'll just run this this question this question to you. So I want you to think about the last time that you were super super nervous in your life. Okay, like you're mm-hmm. really anxious about something. Something was going on. If we took your mind out of the equation, so the racing thoughts and and, and that kind of stuff. Let's just set your brain over here for a second. How did you physically know that you were nervous? Like, what did your body physically do to tell you that you were nervous about something?
1: Probably had some tension and tension. maybe
0: for me, even a little jitters, like really I be
1: a little shaky. Shaky, yeah. right? Yeah. Like our
0: hands, we tremble a little bit. Anything yeah. else that you think of last time you got nervous?
1: uh, Maybe a little cold. That's weird, but I, sometimes I, I feel a little, ah. a little cold when I get nervous.
0: So when we get nervous, sometimes our mind takes over and says, hey, we got to put blood to where where it'll take care of us. It'll bring all of our blood to our core so our hands and our feet get cold. Right. Right. Sometimes we get sweaty hands, sweaty feet, sweaty armpits. Sometimes we Mm -hmm. get sweaty. People's heart will race. People get butterflies in their stomach. Right. Right. These are all typical, like, things that happen to us when we get nervous. Now." This is a little bit harder for you. This one will be a little bit harder for you, but I want you to think about the last time that you were super excited about something. Okay. Okay. Just the opposite. Take your mind out of it. Not the racing thoughts or, Oh, this is going to be so cool. Let's set your mind over here. How did your body tell you that you were excited about something?
1: I've had it happen in two directions. I think where sometimes you can almost have some of those same anxiety Type symptoms, right? Or other times it's just elation, right? Or or pure happiness. But I've had it where you feel jittery too, right? Or
0: Yeah, or, you get jittery. You get butterflies in your stomach. Your heart races, right? right? You get a little bit sweaty. They have proven psychologically that the exact same things happen to us when we're nervous as when we're excited. So what's the difference? Good question. Right here in your mind, right? Right yeah. here. It's how you frame it.
1: Now we've, yeah now
0: you frame it okay So one of the ways that they've proven that you can improve your performance or lower your anxiety and we know that performance and anxiety have an inverse relationship. So as your anxiety and stress goes down, your performance and confidence goes up. as your anxiety and stress goes up, performance and confidence goes down. They're just inverse right. This tool is the closest thing that I have. They've proven that if you just say the words to yourself, I'm excited, rather than telling yourself that you're nervous, that across the board you will perform 25% better. Now, I like that. Here's the problem with that <clears throat> you're feeling what you feel is nervous, and then you say, I'm excited, and then you're like, well, I don't care what Riley says. I feel nervous right now. So here's the way to make it a little more authentic. When you say to yourself, I'm excited, or is this exciting or what, add on a sentence to the end of it that gives you a possible reason that it could be exciting to be where you're at. That doesn't have to do with an outcome. Is this exciting or what? I get to play on BYU's football field with all my best friends in front of a big crowd today. That is exciting. It that is. Means we're going to upset USC today. That doesn't mean that you're going to beat USC today. That just means – You have an awesome opportunity to play in beautiful BYU Stadium with your buddies today, right? Right. Or, man, is this exciting or what? I get to play against the number one team in the country, and I get to find out exactly where I measure up, right? Man, is this exciting or what? I actually get to give a talk today that could have an impact on the youth of the church. Man, is this exciting or what? I'm in a position in the church where every single day I'm going to have the opportunity to impact young lives. You might be nervous about that, but you could be excited about the sense that you get to have an impact.
1: And Riley, it's, it's like having what I call kind of this gratitude mindset instead of being nervous or worried or afraid, we frame it in a way that now we're grateful that we have this chance, right? We're grateful. Yeah. We have this opportunity. I think that's awesome. Well, I,
0: like, I like what you said with that too, because, you know, it's interesting with my job. I feel like I teach gospel principles. I just don't close on the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. Gratitude. I tell athletes all the time, if you want to be clutch, be grateful. And wow. here's why. There's seven scientific, and we could go into it offline another time. There's seven scientific proven facts about people who are grateful. They'll They're healthier. They have higher self-esteem. They are better teammates. So they're more mm. well they overcome PTSD faster. So they actually wow. treat former wartime veterans with gratitude to help lower incidences of PTSD. Wow. They have higher self-confidence. They have higher uh they score higher on the hedonic scale, which is just a fancy word for happiness. Yeah. People who are grateful are clutch because their performance goes up. Right. It's an attitude of gratitude, right? It's a it's a mindset of gratitude, and it helps performance like you can't believe.
1: And people who are grateful are happier. Happier. It's they are it's it's great research.
0: proven scientific scientifically like right across the board. But then it goes one step further, and it says people who are happier have better self confidence, and people right. who have better self confidence perform better, and it's just this chain. Of the Lord being with you when you're grateful. And then and, and I would take I would take this last little spin. And, and if I'm working with someone who's a believer, whether they're whether they're LDS or not, I'll say, right. Hey, hey, what's a good way to show the Lord that you love him? How do you show the Lord that you love him? Well, one of the best ways is to be grateful, right? Yes, keep the commandments. But one of the ways that you can show the Lord that you love him, and he shows us all the time in every single little thing that he gives us, the one way that we can show the Lord that we love him is through gratitude.
1: Right. Amen. I love that. That's great.
0: So, so, I'll oh, go it's, ahead,
1: Riley. Finish that.
0: It's, it's not complicated. Mm-hmm. Be complicated. It's not I complicated. Love, and I love what you've said that
1: so many of these gospel principles translate into helping people with their mental health. and. In other uh, in other areas like that. So, how about one last question today? And I, and I and I love. I heard you say this. You even shared an experience with it. But uh, and I can't remember who taught this to you. And you can you can kind of develop it for us a little bit. But just this idea that happiness is improvement.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So I had a single. I, I I don't always say it in this forum. I can say it a little bit. It, it was a singles word, bishop. Yeah. And you know, I, I was single for entirely too long. I was trying to copy Steve Young too much. I think. <laughs> Got married when I was thirty-seven, right? And and as much as I'd like to say that I've been a perfect human being, I've had a couple scrapes with the law in the church, right? And I'm in yeah. with my bishop, and I'm beating myself up because I'm 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 making the same mistakes over and over again that I don't that I, that I wish I could get rid of, right? And he's like, hey, sure. hey, hey, listen, take a deep breath. Everything's gonna be okay. Remember, in this life, the definition of happiness is improvement. Mm. And I was like,
1: Love
0: that. He's like, you, you don't believe me? And I'm like, No, I'm trying to believe you. Like, it was almost <laughs> like when the Lord, you know, was teaching somebody. I was like, Well, help help me with my unbelief. Like, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, right? <laughs> right. He goes, Go teach a four-year-old how to throw a spiral today and watch his face light up. Yeah. Like, okay, I could, and I've done that a million times as a former quarterback. I teach a kid how to throw a quarterback and they are all smiles. Right. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I could totally see that. And he goes, In your life, Riley, when you're in the dumps, when something's not going right, pick something that you can improve on and go improve it. And it's going to bring happiness into your life. He goes, you know, at, and and at that time, I was kind of thinking about getting into um into triathlons and so i did it and i had a two three year period of life that felt really really happy because i was constantly improving my times i was constantly improving my swimming i was improving my biking i was improving my running right i was improving a facet of my life now it doesn't have to be an athletic movement it could be that you're going to study the scriptures in a different way right it could be that you're going to go back to school at 40 years old like i did and get a degree in sports psychology and improve your life in so many ways that you didn't even know you were going to improve your life.
1: Right. And it's going
0: to bring happiness to your life. This idea of being a lifelong learner is what leads to happiness in our life. Continuous improvement. They call it Kaizen in Japanese, right? Like this continuous improvement, this continual wanting to learn and grow leads to happiness, I love that. Happiness. And if you're having a hard time in the church with the scriptures, or if you're having a hard time with prayer, find a tiny tweak or a tiny small way that you could change your approach to those things, and you'll start to feel happiness. And you'll start to feel confidence in prayer. You'll start to feel confidence in the scriptures. You'll start to feel confidence in the prophets. Just change, just tweak it just a little bit and make it a learning experience, you know? the thing that I would say to people in the church today that I think is important is like, there is a difference between having a question and questioning, right? It's okay to have a question. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. We all it's have them. Bad. don't we? It's time for you to dig deep, right? It's team. It's time for you to improve. So it's a, improve junior, yourself. Yeah. find the answers. They're there. I don't have all the answers, but every answer I've looked for, every answer I've looked for, has taken a little bit of time, but it comes.
1: Exactly. And you pay the price, but it's not like, well, I have a question and can't find an answer. So I'm out, I'm done. Right. It's it's let's engage right. in a process of, of learning and, and figuring it out and talking to people and reading the right books. And I love that.
0: Yeah. Continuous improvement is, is a real key. It's always been a key to me, to my happiness. And I, and when I'm in a rut, and, I, and it still happens to me at 49 years old, right? I'll get in a rut. I'm like, oh, I need to get busy. I need to improve something. What can I improve? And sometimes, you know, in psychology, they talk about just cleaning up a corner of your desk. Like that can be all the improvement that you need to like change the whole momentum of your life. Like right, right. cleaning up your room or making your bed. Like those little improvements, they don't seem like a lot. They can be huge to you. And You're right. you the right path
1: exactly and i was gonna say this isn't just good counsel this or even good psychology it's it's our theology i mean our whole theology is based on 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 improvement and progression and growth
0: and consistency right yeah Like, like i think so many times we want this church to have like some magic pill or like some crazy like antidote you know and and we want this quick fix to our lives but but the gospel is simple in the sense that if we consistently practice the principles of the gospel, great things happen to us, you know? So so true. You know, and, then, and then when I think from an athletic analogy, the other thing that I think about the church all the time is like, I always ask athletes, okay, what's, you know, if I was talking to your son who played a great football at BYU I'd ask him, Hey, what's the most important play in football? And because he was a defensive guy, he'd probably tell me like the blitz, or he would right. like tell me crazy things. And I'm like, no, it's the next one. The most yeah. important play in football is the next one. When you think about things in terms of the gospel, what's the most important ordinance in the gospel? It's the next one. Right. You got <laughs> baptized. Okay. Now what? Let's get to the temple. Let's get the let's let's get the Melchizedek priesthood. Let's. Let's keep going. And then once we've done all of our ordinances, our job is to help other people get to the next one.
1: I love that. Oh, what a great That's point.
0: where happiness lives, right? And when we're striving towards the next ordinance, we're improving our lives. And when we're improving mm-hmm. our lives, it leads to happiness. So oh, I agree. The Lord has put it all together for us. It's all right there. It's all laid out for us. We just have to trust. We have to trust that it's true. We have to trust and then, you know, the, the spiritual paradox of the church is is you can't really know the blessings of getting married in the temple until you get married in the temple. Right. You don't really know them until you take that leap of faith. Every single ordinance requires a leap of faith or like we talked about at the very beginning, stepping out of your comfort zone and being a little bit different than what you were before. And then he just the paradox of all that is is he comes back and fills it in with all this happiness and confidence and well-being that you weren't expecting.
1: Right. Oh, that's so good. And then you
0: want to do it more because you're like, well, on, on the last one, he told me this was gonna happen. It was even better than I thought. So I gotta keep doing this. And then it's almost selfish to become unselfish. It's, it's such amazing. a beautiful plan. It's amazing. It's so awesome what he what he does for us and what what he can do for our families. The miracles are there. The miracles are there. Don't stop believing in miracles because they're they are there. They and happen.
1: They're there I've every day. My
0: whole life, over and over and over again.
1: That's right. I love that, Riley. So we often say we we borrowed something from Dr. Brent Barlow from a few years ago where he said LDS stands for Let's do something. So, so if there was I like that. I haven't heard <laughs> that before. That's yeah. That's so if there's something that we could invite our listeners to do today from what you've shared, let's do something. What's maybe one simple thing that almost anyone could do that would move them off of the spot they're on, maybe move them in the right direction. Maybe there will be maybe some uh, uncomfortableness related to it, but what would you say for let's do something today?
0: So this is a fun one for me. This is one that I use with athletes, but I think this is great for us in the church too. Yeah. Okay? So I call it what, why, and activate. Okay. Okay. What is it that you want to do? Why do you want to do it? And activate it by taking three small steps towards that goal. So let's 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 rewind the clock to nine years ago. Okay. What is it you want to do, Riley? I want to go into sports psychology. Why do you want to do it? Because I think it would make me happier in my day-to-day career. I think it would be a good career for my wife and for my kids. Okay. You're right. And then the last part is what are three small steps that you can do? Well, I'm going to look online tonight and I'm going to see if there's three schools that have an online program. Great. What is it you want to do? I want to get into sports psychology because I think it'd be a great career for me and for my family tonight. I'm going to check online or for three online programs that I can possibly uh, continue my career or do what I want to do. And then tomorrow you do it again. And instead of three programs, now you call one of the deans at one of those schools that you liked and ask them more about the program. And then the next day you find out how much the tuition is and what are the requirements to get into that school? Just tiny leaps. Tiny steps. They lead to huge results. And if you would have told me, that I would have been on this podcast nine years ago, I would have been doing like backflips. I would have been so excited that part of my job included talking to people about motivation, talking to people about the psychology of success, the psychology of performance in a gospel format. Man.
1: Incredible. Yeah.
0: This is a great day. (laughs) And nine years ago, I'm not sure I could have seen that because all I was trying to do was find a school that would lead to a decent career.
1: Yeah, that's so great, Riley. Uh, tell our listeners about the the book you're working on and your podcast, and we'll finish with that. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give a nice little closing, and we'll head to the, head out the door here.
0: So there's actually two books that I'm writing right now. One is called "Pure Unadulterated Guts." Yeah, um, it was all about sports psychology and. Stories and anecdotes from my playing days and from being a sports uh, sports psychology consultant, right, lead people to higher performance. The other book is called The Mindful Missionary, um, oh, wow, and I'm trying to write a book that kind of leads to what we were talking about that that helps missionaries to stay with it just a little bit longer. Yeah, now, I'm not saying that every missionary is going to read this book and not come home from a mission. There's there's real reasons why some missionaries come home, but if but if we can get two or three missionaries to stay out on their mission and finish strong because of this book, I'm I'm hopeful that this will have some antidotes to deal with anxiety, to deal with the stress, to deal with the imposter syndrome and some of these things that creep up on young men and young women while they're on missions. Yeah. To help them, to help them make it through and have a, a really successful experience. Um, those books depending on whether I publish or self-publish will be out either in the next year or two years.
1: Good. Great.
0: You know, I have a podcast called mindset matters that you can find on Apple iTunes or on SoundCloud that I'm just just—they're Five minute podcasts every day to just get your mindset in the right way to attack your job, to attack your sport, to attack your life in a positive and constructive way.
1: And I've listened to some of those, and they're outstanding. I love the power-packed content in just five or seven minutes. It's great. So
0: thank you, thank you. They're meant to be short and and sweet. And you know, my my thought process on that was like, man, I haven't got forty eight minutes to listen to a podcast, but I do have five to seven minutes. You know, I do have. You know, I might want to listen to it on the way to work or on the way to school. Right.
1: So uh, it work. It works. That's a great. That's a great model to follow. Riley, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been wonderful and uh, so grateful for those who are listening. And until, until next time, we hope you have a wonderful week.